Hey everyone, this is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss the key trends in the industry. Today I'm speaking with Adan Yago, founder of CementDAO. We're going to talk all about stablecoins and his new project. Should be an exciting conversation, so let's dive right in. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with. For exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space, check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone, welcome back. I'm 2-Bit Idiot, uh, Ryan Selkis. Here to talk today uh, about all things stablecoins with Don Yago, who's the founder of CementDAO. Um, and uh, really excited for this conversation. I think um, you know there, there's quite a bit of potential for um, stablecoins in general. They bring a ton of liquidity uh, to the crypto markets. Historically, they've driven quite a bit of growth, uh, regardless of what you think of Tether. Uh, it was probably one of the most profound innovations and the most important innovations for the crypto markets, particularly given some of the regulatory uncertainty over the last few years. Um, and now we've got a wide variety of options beyond just uh, just USDT and, and, and Tether. Uh, Adan, um, would love to dig into why exactly you're trying to create uh, basically a stablecoin of stablecoins um, and and why it's so important to create better interoperability between, um, between these assets. So uh, before we dig in, um, why don't you uh, quickly introduce yourself? And, and obviously, you and I have known each other for years. You, you've been around the block in crypto. Um, tell, tell us a little bit more about your background, how you got to work on CementDAO, and, and why you're all in on uh, stablecoin infrastructure these days. Thanks very much, Ryan. Uh, great to have another chance to chat with you. So, yeah, like you say, I've been in crypto for a while. I um, My background. Uh, is in neuroscience and I, uh, up until 2011, uh, was involved in uh, entrepreneurship on the biotech side. I was involved in two biotech companies. And in 2011, um, because the work I was doing was working with neural networks and trying to use machine learning to identify um, ways of, uh, 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 better ways of, of identifying um, different diseases using uh, machine learning diagnostics. I was reading a lot of network papers, papers in the networking space. And so randomly I came across the Satoshi white paper and um, I was hooked immediately. I, I, but even before I'd fully digested the, uh, the white paper, I was sending out emails to all of my friends, which were promptly ignored that they have to get into Bitcoin. This is going to be the biggest thing that, that our generation has ever seen. And it's a bit unusual. Most people, I think, they, they you know, their story is, you know, I came across the white paper, I ignored it or I dismissed it initially, and then I slowly got into it. And that wasn't my experience at all. And I think the reason is I was primed uh, for cryptocurrencies from a young age. So I come from a family of refugees um, who only survived uh, through their wits and through the fact that they managed to stash away some hard currency uh, or, or you know jewels. Um, I grew up in South Africa. My family were very politically active there and were uh, the apartheid government uh, declared some of them to be terrorists. And so I ended up between the ages of nine and 11 
smuggling gold out of South Africa to get money to my family. And so many, many years later, when I came across Bitcoin, to me, the utility was obvious. And ever since I've been involved in trying to get um, cryptocurrencies into the hands of as many people as possible, I, um, I, I'm fascinated um, uh, by uh, one thing in particular, which is the payment side of cryptocurrency, um, because I think that that's the way that we get people to have mainstream users to, 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 to get cryptocurrencies. And so I've been involved in a number of projects over the years around that. And that's what's ultimately brought me to stablecoins. Um, I feel like stablecoins are the most likely way that the majority of people are going to interact with cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Um, it's the most likely way that people are going to have access to uncensorable money. And it's most likely because people want something which is familiar and uh, which is easy to understand. For mainstream adoption, you need to massively reduce the barriers to entry and the frictions around uh, being able to use something. And there's nothing less frictionful than just doing what you've always done, using dollars, using euros, using yen. Can you, can you walk through um, kind of the history of stable coins and, and the different economic models? So, you know, it, it, it's, it's one thing to say that you're going to create a decentralized dollar reserved or, 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 you know, kind of fixed price cryptocurrency. It's quite another to pull that off because if it is dollar reserved or some fiat currency reserved, um, then that means that you have those reserves on hand somewhere. Right. And, and so it's touching the legacy financial system in some way. If you're trying to do it algorithmically or, 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 or you know, strictly via code, um, you introduce, you know, black swan risks uh, if you get any of your security assumptions off. Um, if you're thinking about creating a synthetic, uh, synthetic basket or, or thinking about uh, like a senior in shares model where you're offloading risk on one um, set of users that are, are going to absorb that risk in behalf uh, of the other users in order to make a return, um, that you know, presents you know, probably a third type of uh, stablecoin project and, and a way of thinking about uh, the trade-offs between you know, decentralization, security, and, and, and making sure that these, these systems function. So um, where does Cement DAO sit and, and can you kind of walk through you know, what you view uh, works and, and what doesn't and what some of the trade-offs are that, that some of these different projects are making, yours included. Yeah, so how to create um, something which is dollar-denominated or euro-denominated or denominated in any way to something which is off-chain is a very uh, difficult problem. And like you say, there's all, whatever method you choose, you're going to be generating some degree of risk, risk of losing the peg, a risk of centralization, risk of regulatory uh, involvement, which, which removes the uncensorable aspect of what you're trying to do or all of the above. And so, uh, and so when you're using a token, which isn't the native token of a chain, you're dealing in a world of compromises. You're dealing in a world of imperfect uh, and, and, then the question becomes, all right, so how do, how do you manage those risks? Um, and beyond the risks, how do you manage the fragmentation that comes with a, um, uh, a world where you can have multiple different uh, tokens, which are all being created and all being issued, trying to represent the same thing? 
So what we're doing with Cement DAO is we're tackling those two problems. Right now, um, we are seeing a huge number of different types of assets being uh, tokenized on various different blockchains, right? So the most obvious is the US dollar. Uh, and all of the big stable coins, all of the biggest stable coins are US dollar. But in addition to that, there's Euro, um, there's other uh, currencies. And in addition to them, there's gold and silver and petroleum and even uh, less, uh, uh, you know, commoditized things like uh, IBM shares or the shares of, uh, of different um, uh, companies, public or not, and even derivatives. And so, for each of these different things, you have multiple different issuers. And each of these different issuance, issuances have their own risks. So with Cementa, what we're building is a platform which is designed to work across chains, allow all of these different representations to be um, standardized. In other words, you have multiple different issuers, but they're all interoperable for one for the other. So if we have DX exchange and eToro X exchange and a broker in India and a broker in Hong Kong and a broker in the United States. And for various regulatory reasons or competitive reasons, they're all issuing tokenized versions of Tesla shares. You actually don't want there to be six, seven, 20 different tokens of Tesla shares, um, which all trade against each other and fluctuate. And it's not clear which one is the Tesla share. What you want is you want there to be one layer, which is the Tesla share. And so what Cement DAO does is it provides a, a protocol which combines these different issuances, allows there to be decentralization by having multiple different issuers, but at the same time makes them fungible for each other, these different tokens, and also protects the holders um, or allows the holders to be protected from the risk of um, one of the holders going uh, uh, defaulting effectively on, on the issuance that they've created. So, Please, yeah. So, but doesn't that suggest though that um, you're always going to have some slippage in value, right? So, if, if you're basically creating an interoperable exchange of, of stable coins, um, and there's any mispricing from the underlying stable coins that are components of, of this index. Then the user is is essentially paying something akin to a you know a, an inter interchange fee that they would using traditional um, payment technologies, right? Because there's a you know 50 basis point spread between two cement DAO components. You guys might be able to make that market and allow for interoperability, but um, but but it's not necessarily saving fees relative to the legacy system. Is um, is that even a goal at this point, or do you just view um, stable coins as something that people are going to use and so a fee that's in the 25 to you know 100 basis point range is going to be something that people accept in the in the you know near to medium term right so that's an excellent question and um, I think you're right to put the, your finger on the word interchange uh, and I think an analogy here is worthwhile because, you know, while what we're doing in crypto is extremely innovative, it's, it's not like similar things haven't happened before. So there was a new network technology that was invented, which led to tokenization of money. And that new network technology was invented in the 1950s, or actually even before, but started to become up in the 40s and the 50s, and it was called the telephone. 
And as different stores and banks started to get hooked up to their phone, somebody came up with this idea of tokenizing money and creating stable coins. Um, and uh, the way they tokenized it was in the form of plastic or metal cards, which they called bank cards or credit cards. And so you had Wells Fargo cards and, and, and Wells Fargo currency that was attached to those cards and Bank of America cards and the Bank of America stablecoin that was attached to those cards. And if you were a user and you were a customer of Wells Fargo, you could get the Wells Fargo credit card. You could spend the Wells Fargo tokenized currency, but only at merchants that accepted the Wells Fargo currency. And this was a mess. Uh, and in fact, everyone became dissatisfied with it over the course of the next 10 years until what they created was the world's first interchange in the way that I think you're describing it, which uh, eventually got turned into its own company and became Visa. And what that allowed is if you had a Wells Fargo card, you could go spend it at any merchant and that merchant didn't need to be a customer of Wells Fargo. They could be a customer of any one of the different banks. Today we have a similar situation, right? So. Um, every one of the major exchanges are now issuing their own stablecoin. Their customers can get an on-ramp into uh, this tokenized fiat through their exchange. And um, if you're a customer of Coinbase, you can get USDC. But if you want to spend it uh, you know, or trade it on a different exchange, then that exchange either has to list that token, and so they're listing more and more tokens, or uh, you need to do the work yourself of swap, swapping it for whatever the, the native stablecoin of that exchange is. And so what Cement DAO first and foremost does is it provides that type of interchange. It allows USDC to be sent to an address which wants USDT and to be in the very act of being transacted as an atomic transaction be converted to USDT. Um, and neither of the participants even need to know that this happened. They're just transacting dollars. Um, and so there is an interchange fee that needs to be assessed for that because there are differences in the prices. Mm -hmm. uh, now, what's cool about the differences in the prices is these differences in the prices exist even today with the banks. So the reason Visa, among other things, has an interchange fee is because actually there's risk associated with Bank of America dollars or Wells Fargo dollars. They're not fungible at the level of the bank. So when Wells Fargo look at Bank of America dollars, they don't think of them as fungible for their own. Um, and so they assess a fee for taking on the risk of having to handle the credit of another bank. Mm -hmm. But to the consumer, this is invisible. Uh, what, what crypto does and what I love about crypto is it makes it explicit. Um, so, Right now, and that's the advantage of a peer to be a decentralized system. So what our system does is basically allow people to transact dollar value anywhere the dollar value is accepted or euro value, anywhere the euro value is accepted, then there is a small fee associated with that. And what we think is going to happen is that over time, people are going to um, start to think of stablecoins not as a particular brand, but as the brand that they're all aspiring to be, which is the dollar, the euro, the yen, or the gold. And that transaction fee, that interchange fee, will just become part of the general fee of transacting in the same way that you pay a small amount of gas when you transact an ERC-20 token or an ERC-20 stablecoin. And the actual fees associated are very, very low. Our system is designed just to maintain the amount of fee that is required in order to balance out the different fluctuations in the risk. Mm -hmm. 
So walk me through the uh, the implementation of, of something like CementDAO. So um, you know, merchants on one hand accept uh, USDT. Uh, some of the international exchanges have uh, you know Tether pretty strongly integrated into their systems. Um, if you were to, to support USDT then at the merchant level, where previously they're just using USDC, um, or you wanted to support USDC as someone tried to actually send funds to an international exchange, where does CementDAO fit into that? Who do you need to onboard in order for that market to be matched successfully? Right, so I'll give you uh, two examples of the way we're being onboarded. So, First example I'll give you is exchanges, which are still a very at the very heart of our uh, crypto industry, right? Because most of the transactions have to do with trading or speculation. And so the exchanges, they have a problem. They're listing more and more stable coins. Um, and it's becoming less and less manageable because each new stable coin that they add is something that they need to maintain. It reduces it, the, the user experience by increasing this complexity and making users have to figure out which stablecoin they're going to use. But the worst thing it does is it um, fragments their order books. So instead of having nice deep order books of USD to ETH or USD to BTC, they now have um, different types of USD, PACs to BTC and uh, uh, USDC to BTC and USDT to BTC. And so that order book, the BTC order book becomes shallower, the liquidity becomes less and, and the spreads become wider. And so a number of exchanges are working with us now to basically reintegrate the um, the stablecoins under one ticker, which would be the dollar ticker or the euro ticker. And um, some really pioneering work was actually done by two um, um, Asian exchanges who attempted to do this themselves without sort of a, a broad protocol. Uh, one was Huobi and the other one was Gate. And the reason I think it started in Asia is because so much activity of this in stablecoins is being done out of Asia. And so, for example, what Bobby did is they created the sticker HUSD. And you could send a whole bunch of different stablecoins to the exchange, but what you would actually see appearing uh, under your user is your balance in HUSD, not in USDC or not in PAX. And so they basically created the dollar on their exchange. Mm -hmm. And so Exchanges are doing the same thing, uh, and our protocol, the cement protocol, is helping them do that. Another example is a merchant, right? So, 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 uh, Wobi and Gate are two of the first customers or, or partners. No, no, Wobi and Gate have done have created the system for themselves. Wobi uh -huh. uh, have since um, had a lot of issues uh, with it. It's very, very difficult to manage a protocol like this. Um, if it's not a protocol. So, that, so basically they were managing it as a, as a book and they took on all of that risk themselves and they put, there was no way for them to balance inflows and outflows, mm -hmm. which is why interchange becomes important. It's a shared resource, a commons between different merchants and exchanges and people who are using the stable coins. Mm -hmm. um, and so what they're doing now is they're, they're launching their own stable coin, which is likely to be part uh, of uh, the cement down mix. Um, and so in that case, with an exchange, uh, the, the exchange basically just integrates with our smart contract. And now they can start serving up uh, deposit addresses to their users, which allow the, the, any user to send any one of the stable coins that are in the cement system 
through that address and it auto converts into whatever that exchange wants or into a universal ticker, which we call uh, MixUSD, but the exchange can call it whatever they want. Same thing happens with the merchant. So who, but but so who is the most important person or, or party to buy into this system as as you work on these integrations? Is it the stablecoin issuer or is it the end user that needs to do the work that Wobi and Gate had tried to do themselves by by managing their own book? Yeah. So um, the most important uh, sort of type of user of the system is the receiver. Right, the type of user who says, look, I want to be able to receive a whole bunch of different stablecoins and consolidate them and manage them. And so uh, that would be exchanges, that would be merchants um, or payments companies. Uh, and right now, a lot of our focus has been talking to, um, to exchanges and to dApps uh, who are using stablecoins, especially in the DeFi space. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um... So let, let's let's walk through how uh, this is going to be decentralized because uh, you guys are, are doing the lion's share of the work right now. The the name of the project is Cement DAO. Uh, so I imagine that the goal is to disintermediate yourselves from from some of this decision making. Um, so first of all, where where are you in the life cycle of this project? Um, so what's what's the roadmap and, and kind of rollout plan for uh, the 1.0 and and and, and beyond as, as you work towards um, actually creating a basket um, of stable coins versus, uh, you know, maybe an incremental approach and, and taking one at a time. So our system is currently live on uh, Rockstein testnet on Ethereum mm -hmm. and has also been uh, um, launched on the testnet of Rootstock. Um, and part of the goal there is to basically allow you to perform these types of transactions on any chain. And so mm -hmm. we started with Ethereum and Rootstock. Um, and we're in the process now of talking to um, and helping the first few partners integrate into the system. Now, uh, the reason it's called a DAO is because ultimately we are, aren't going to make any decisions. So the system is going to launch decentralized um, when it launches on mainnet and um, the there's there's a token uh, which is going to be used to help decentralize the system it's a governance token we call it the build token and the build token is used to allow the community to choose which stable coins are allowed in the system, what allocations they receive, uh, to decide on any differential pricing or fees that need to be changed with regards to them. And most importantly, to remove from the system um, tokens which are no longer appropriate or potentially risky. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what we're doing is we're working with uh, those partners who are integrating with the system now, and we're going to be looking to allow their communities to have build token um, and to participate in the governance process. I think one of the coolest things that we're doing in terms of the governance process is uh, there's a lot of DAOs out there. It's an extremely interesting space. I think one of the most interesting things that is happening in so the blockchain space is this idea of creating um, communities that can govern themselves in a non-hierarchical way. Uh, but what we're doing is 
we're we're working to try and build a system which is extremely robust against various types of attacks and which is going to be able to make extremely good decisions uh, because you need to be able to make very good decisions about which tokens you allow into this type of system and so our system is not built on um, simple staking or voting it has um, the, the the system is is driven by futarchy mm-hmm. which is a, a new uh, something I, that we and a few other projects are working on, I think, is going to be introduced over the course of the next year into a number of DAOs. And the idea is that you allow prediction markets to become decision markets. In other words, prediction markets can predict the best outcome for a DAO. And um, if you construct the system where the prediction market sits at its core, whatever the prediction market predicts is going to be the best outcome, the system will automatically choose. So. It becomes a very market-driven process where people can participate in predicting which stable coins are going to be uh, the, the um, most stable, for example. And whichever ones they predict are the most stable, the system will automatically adopt. So there's actually no human being doing the adoption. It's the system itself, the smart contract itself. And when do you anticipate this is going to go live on mainnet? Um, so I don't want to give out a date. Uh, we um, are basically ready um the the thing is we want to make sure that when we launch it, it it launches decentralized and so um a lot of the work that we're doing now is trying to make sure that we can um disenfranchise ourselves and, and have and have other partners and parties involved in the project from day one and when that's ready then we'll launch can you um can you walk through the process or, or, or kind of the different stakeholders uh, in the system and, and how they're rewarded. So, so basically, um, the maintainers or, or primary governors of the system are going to be absorbing the risk uh, associated with any instability in the underlying components, uh, right? And, and essentially earning the rewards and fees that would come from the deposits that are, are uh, components of the, the cement DAO currency. Uh, how um, how many of those stakeholders do you need around the table to get comfortable with launching on the one hand, and then um, how big is, is that pool of funding? Because uh, if you are a stablecoin issuer, uh, there are a number of things that you can do to entice uh, people to, to use your stablecoin and actually deposit funds with you because you know that you're going to be able, to, you could offer a discount, for instance, um, because you know that you're going to be able to reinvest the underlying and, and, and generate some type of yield on it, even though the interest rates are obscenely low right now. Um, but with you guys, uh, that's kind of abstracted away, it seems, to a certain extent, because you're a stable coin, of, a basket of stable coins. So the issuers are still the ones that are collecting the underlying uh, dollar or euro or, or yen collateral, no? Yes. So uh, there's a number of questions there. I'll try and answer them. So first of all, um, right now, most of the stable coins and uh, certainly the most popular ones are backed by reserves of the same currency in a bank account somewhere. And so one of the nice things of our system is it allows multiple different... Or at least we uh, think so because there's, there's no audits of any of the issuers just yet. Yes, well, they're backed by a claim on. <laughs> so, um, 
Um, so actually, look, a number of the issuers have been providing audits, but I don't think that really matters, right? Um, the, 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 the crux of the matter is that there's a central party which is responsible for uh, guaranteeing that uh, issuing, creating, and also managing um, those tokens. And so one of the nice things of our system is it allows you to have multiple different issuers like this within the system, um, with added creates this basket as you call it. Um, we, we call it the mix. Um, and, uh, and, and users can also hold abstract tokens. So they can take a, 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 a um, centralized token deposit into the system and get out a abstracted USD token, which is more decentralized. Now, it, how do you deal with the risk? Because as a user who's holding a token like that, if one of the underlying tokens now loses value because it collapses, because their accounts are, are you know seized by the New York district attorney, um, how do you deal with that? So the way we deal with that is twofold. First, um, there's the ability to be a risk holder in the system. We actually have tokens which we call the risk tokens, and you can deposit stable coins into the system and get back risk tokens. These risk tokens earn a yield, but in return, you take on the risk from someone else, right? Somebody who doesn't want to hold any risk, that one of the issuers might uh, collapse or might lose value. Usually they don't go down to zero, they, they lose you know, a haircut, 10%, 20%. Uh, so so they, they'd end up with 80 cents on the dollar that they put in. That's the potential risk that they're taking. If that fails, then the build token holders who are kind of like the, 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 the last resort in the system, in the same way that maker and the maker DAO system can create new maker uh, tokens and use them to recapitalize the system. In our system, um, if the risk token uh, doesn't absorb enough of the risk, then the build token holders um, are diluted in order to recapitalize the system. Um, now, you asked about who are, who are the different stakeholders. So uh, the stakeholders who are involved in governance are the build token holders. And the build token holders can be involved in governance in two ways. The first is they can stake with curation agents. And the curation agents, their goal is to whitelist uh, which stablecoins are allowed into the system. And if they do a good job, they get rewarded by the system. And so they're sort of the first line of defense. But they actually, even if a token gets whitelisted, it's actually not in the system because the next step is the futarchy system or the prediction markets. And there, um, what the system is actually doing is it's uh, using the, the fact that build uh, can be used for a proxy of the value of the system because it, 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 all of the fees that are collected by the system are used to buy and burn build. Basically, what the prediction market is doing on an ongoing basis is it's saying, all right, Let's say we introduce change into the system. They would create one of two scenarios, right? The change is accepted or the change is not accepted. Mm -hmm. Which of these two scenarios is predicted to have the highest price of the dollar, right? The dollar stable coin to the build. In other words, which one will create the higher price for the build? And whichever uh, change or, or maybe the status quo is expected to create the higher price for the build is automatically what the system adopts. And so the, the, the primary way in which you can actively participate in the governance 
is by sort of betting in these markets with the gold tokens. Got it. Um, interesting. Well, I, uh, I you know, the the one thing that always comes to mind with with the stablecoin markets um, is just how much money the issuers can actually make, right? So it, it, it seems like there's a ton of default risk, there's seizure risk, there's regulatory risk when you think about things like, like Tether. Um, there are usability risks when you think about some of the more you know, heavily regulated um, uh, digital dollars, right? Uh, USDC and, and Gemini dollar uh, come to mind, uh, Paxos as, as well. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, interest rates are low. Uh, and, and then to top it all off, uh, you're talking about creating a system that bridges all of these together. It, it just doesn't seem like the market is that large or, or, or that liquid just yet. And there's much more downside than upside when it comes to earning fees. Um, what do you think some of the catalysts are that would make this basket-based approach to, to managing stable coins more economically interesting for people that, that wanted to get involved in cement out um, as, as a curator, for instance. Because uh, it seems like right now, if you're going to look to provide similar services, you can make a hell of a lot more money if you are providing like staking as a service or you're participating in any of the active governance or, or, or curation of some of these systems that have much larger yields embedded in, in, in their you know, programmatic inflation um, of, of the underlying asset. Um, and those aren't stable assets, but it doesn't matter if, if you're the curator, you, you can see quite a bit of, of cash flow from that. Um, what has to change for this to become more compelling, um, you know, market-wide and, and, and internationally? Right. So I, I think that there's actually, um, even now, stablecoins are extremely compelling um, for a number of reasons. Uh, the amount of money that you can end up making from a stablecoin is very, very substantial. So the different stablecoins are different ways of generating yield for sort of their communities or their owners, right? If you are Tether, you're sitting on $4 billion, which is, you know, just passively sitting in an account generating some yield for you, probably around 2.5%. So 2.5% of $4 billion is actually quite a lot of money, um, given that you're, you're actually not involved uh, in doing uh, that much. And there are also strategic benefits, right? So all of the other exchanges that use USDC are effectively banked by their competitor Coinbase. So Coinbase becomes the bank uh, uh, to a whole set of exchanges, which effectively introduces them into into their, um, their ecosystem. Uh, now, that's sort of like on the issuer side. In terms of the actual activity that is happening in stablecoins, the most traded coin on any given day is sometimes Bitcoin and sometimes it's Tether in terms of the volume of trade that is happening. Um, and, and the stablecoin space is the fastest growing space right now in the cryptocurrency space. So um, projects, for example, like Maker, you know, they're the MKR token, which is not DAI, is worth depending on the day, somewhere, you know, has a market cap of between uh, half a billion and $700 million. And I think the reason for that is that people believe that stablecoins are going to be one of, if not the biggest part in terms of the trade, 
payment and store of value activity that the vast majority of of users have and certainly the excitement around libra um tends to to show that and then if you look at DeFi, DeFi is totally driven by stable coins so uh compound maker uh um uh, uh dydx they all have most activity and the most interest earned on uh, these various stable coins. So um, I, I suspect that both from the uh, ability to drive yield through the risk tokens and um, the uh, even small interchange fees that will be driven by a large number of transactions in the stablecoin space, Cement will actually end up being a very interesting uh, focus of activity. And there will be a large number of parties who are there either for strategic reasons and want to participate either for strategic reasons or simply because they're interested in DeFi, they're interested in finding new and interesting ways of driving yield, especially in a way which is predictable, uh, which you can sort of do a discount cash flow analysis, which is usually not possible to do with you know most staking tokens. Um, and so it's a new way uh, of, of being able to participate in crypto and especially to be able to take a view on stablecoins. Right? There's no way you can invest in USDT. There's no way you can invest in USDC. But by being involved in um, the cement system, you can effectively take a view on the entire stablecoin space as a whole. Well, time will tell, uh, but uh, certainly be on the lookout for the, uh, the mainnet launch and some of the other you know, key milestones on the roadmap. Uh, Adan, uh, this is a, 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 I'd say a boring but important part of, of uh, market infrastructure <laughs> for, for crypto. Maybe not in your project, but stable coins in general. Um, you know, the prices don't go up and down. Uh, at least, hopefully, they don't. Um, yeah. But uh, but but certainly, there's still quite a bit of work to do to connect all the plumbing, uh, even for this boring uh, type of asset. So appreciate right. you shedding a little bit more light on it and uh, taking the time today. We'll, uh, we'll do it again soon. Uh, well, Don, thank you for tolerating the more boring side of crypto, right? Uh, you know what? I said boring, but important. So important caveat. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, until next time, thank you for joining. Uh, we'll see you again real soon. Peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot. If you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.